writers, and welcome back to the Wellstroyed podcast, where I translate articles from the Wellstroyed blog into audio so you can listen in on the go. And I am Kristen Kiefer, and today's episode is number 43, which blows my mind because we are coming up on episode number 50 so, so quickly, but we shall save that celebration for another day. Today, as we do, we are digging back into the Wellstroyed blog archives to cover an article I originally wrote on September 19th, 2016. This article is called, Should You Include an Epigraph in Your Novel? What is an epigraph, you may ask? Well, we are going to cover that in today's episode, so I hope you're interested enough to listen in because I am not telling you a thing before we get started. If you would like to read along as you listen into today's episode, you can head on over to well-storied.com slash epigraph. And let's dive in! Have you ever noticed the small quotations at the beginning of a book or its chapters? Those are called epigraphs, and they can include a short quotation, saying, poem, or paragraph of prose. Including an epigraph before some or all of the chapters in a book isn't necessary, isn't a necessary ingredient for baking up a brilliant story, but they can be useful for several reasons. What do those reasons include? And should you include an epigraph or maybe several of them in your book? Let's dive into today's quick and dirty breakdown. So why might you include an epigraph in your novel? Before we dive into the various reasons you might choose to include epigraphs in your stories, it's important to note that every element in your novel should serve a purpose. Epigraphs are certainly no exception to this rule, so while including a quotation from a famous, famous writer or thinker may, at surface level, make your novel seem more cultured, you may want to think twice. But in what ways can epigraphs add value to your stories? Here are a few powerful purposes an epigraph can serve, with examples from literature to boot. Purpose number one, they can set the mood. In literature, the mood is the feeling or emotion an author seeks to evoke in their readers. Using an epigraph before your first chapter or at the top of each chapter in your book can be an excellent way to prime readers for the story or chapter they're about to read. Not sure what I mean? Check out these examples from literature. From Fahrenheit 451 by Ray Bradbury, we have, if they give you ruled paper, Write the Other Way, a quotation by Juan Ramon Jimenez. And from The Gift by Vladimir Nabokov, we have, An oak is a tree, a rose is a flower, a deer is an animal, a sparrow is a bird, Russia is our fatherland, death is inevitable. Which is a quote from P. Smirnovsky in the textbook of Russian grammar. Or for a longer example, I've also included a link to the three-paragraph epigraph from The White Queen by Philippa Gregory in today's transcript at well-storied.com epigraph. It's one of my favorites, so make sure to check that out. Purpose number two, they can foreshadow an event. Epigraphs can also hint at events yet to come in your novel. Take the opening passage from The Great Gatsby by F. Scott Fitzgerald, for example. Then wear the gold hat, if that will move her. If you can bounce high, bounce for her too. Till she cry, lover, gold-hatted, high-bouncing lover, I must have you. Which is a quote-unquote quote by Thomas Park Danvilliers, which is really just F. Scott Fitzgerald writing as one of his characters from another book. 
In The Great Gatsby, this passage foreshadows Jay Gatsby's wild attempts to woo the woman he loves, Daisy Buchanan. So you can see how other epigraphs can also foreshadow events in your stories. Purpose number three, epigraphs can imply characterization. Epigraphs can also provide authors a way to share important details about their main characters, especially those that would otherwise be difficult to relay in the text. Need a few examples? Here we go. From Frankenstein by Mary Shelley, we have, Did I request thee, maker, from my clay, to mold me man? Did I solicit thee from darkness to promote me? Which is part of the poem from Paradise Lost. And from To Kill a Mockingbird, we have, Lawyers, I suppose, were children once. A quote by Charles Lamb. On to purpose number four. Epigraphs can reveal context. Similarly, authors can use epigraphs as an easy way to reveal expositional details concerning the story world that would, again, otherwise be difficult to relay in the text. Take the epigraph from one of my favorite novels, for example. I think you may recognize this one. Three rings for the elven kings under the sky. Seven for the dwarf lords in their halls of stone. Nine for the mortal men doomed to die. One for the dark lord on his dark throne. In the land of Mordor, where the shadows lie, one ring to rule them all, one ring to find them. One ring to bring them all and in the darkness bind them. In the land of Mordor, where shadows lie. Again, you may recognize that poem as it appears before each book in the Lord of the Rings trilogy by J.R.R. Tolkien. The poem itself gives context to the question, who is the Lord of the Rings? Other epigraphs that fall into this category may serve to reveal the time period during which the novel is set, or to share vital uh, backstory details, or to clue readers in on important character relationships, or explain a world-building concept. I'm really great at talking tonight, guys. In any case, the important thing to remember when creating an epigraph that fulfills this purpose is that it must be presented in a way that intrigues and hooks the reader. If Tolkien had decided to share this backstory info in a textbook-style explanation, readers might have closed the book before hitting chapter one. Instead, he poses the necessary information as a poem that lends depth to his story world. You certainly don't have to write a poem for your own epigraph, but make sure to keep things interesting, okay? And finally, purpose number five, epigraphs can introduce theme. Likely the most popular purpose of any graph is really to explore theme. Here are a few examples to set your mind to spinning. From Coraline by Neil Gaiman, we have, Fairy tales are more than true, not because they tell us that dragons exist, but because they tell us that dragons can be beaten. A quote by G.K. Chesterton. Next up, we have The End Games by Michael Martin, which includes this epigraph. Everything not saved will be lost. The Nintendo quit screen message. From the House of Mirth by Edith Wharton, we have, The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth, which is from Ecclesiastes, the book in the Bible. And finally, from White Teeth by Zadie Smith, we have, What is past is prologue, an inscription in Washington, D.C. at a museum. So, should you include epigraphs in your own stories? This choice is completely up to you, writer. 
Simply put, epigraphs are often unnecessary, but they can serve many purposes and prove to be an exciting way to open your novel. I personally chose to include epigraphs in my upcoming fantasy series, The Books of Maverin, for two reasons. Firstly, I wanted to foreshadow the ways in which these books will break from traditional fantasy genre tropes, as the books do take a dark and what I hope will be unexpected turn. And secondly, as each book in the fantasy series features a new point of view character, I wanted to use the epigraphs as an easy way to transition between these characters. So for example, here's the kind of unedited paragraph from the first book in the series, Lady Legacy. Life is full of falls. Men spill from their horses, children trip, women catch their babies as they tumble from their wombs. On occasion, the troubled pitch themselves from rooftops or rock faces in the hopes of ending a more visceral fall. But it's not the fall that matters. It's the landing, or rather what results of the landing. Broken bones, bruises, tiny scratches that blossom with pinpricks of shiny crimson, or cuts so wide-mouthed and frightening they leave even the strongest queasy as a maiden on her wedding night. This was my domain. The wounded, the fallen. All my years I spent single-mindedly devoted to their cause, and make no mistake, I excelled in my devotion. Every suture was my offering, every set bone my song of praise. For my devotion I was rewarded with a skill of hand and a sharpness of mind that spoke of hallowed greatness. A double-edged sword, for it is said that greatness often breeds blindness. Maybe that was why I never saw my own fall coming. It's my hope that this epigraph not only gives readers a look inside the mind of who the heroine is by the end of her story, but that it also burrows deep down into their consciousness to remind them, as they read the book, that she is never safe. That something threatening always looms in her future. Sharing my reasons for using an epigraph in my own novel may not make the decision easy for you, but I hope it helps clarify whether or not including an epigraph may be the right choice for your book. Now let me answer some of your epigraph questions. Question number one. Do I need to include epigraphs for each chapter if I've used one at the beginning of my novel or vice versa? Not at all. You can choose to include an epigraph at the beginning of your novel, at the beginning of each chapter in your novel, both or neither. My only recommendation is that you include an epigraph before every chapter if you do choose to go the route of putting epigraphs before your chapters. I don't recommend skipping any of those chapters. This may just be personal preference, however, so take that piece of advice with a grain of salt. Question number two. Does an epigraph have to quote someone or something else, or can I write my own? You can absolutely choose to write your own. However, if you do choose to utilize a quote from an outside source, be it a movie, a novel, a poem, a direct quote, etc., make sure you have the legal right to do so. I recommend reading through the article that I have linked from Better Novel Project in today's transcript at well-storied.com epigraph. It will help you better understand the legal issues surrounding this topic. Question number three. How long should an epigraph be? While there are no set rules for the use of epigraphs, I do recommend keeping your own under one printed page. A few paragraphs at most, really. Remember, you want to hook the reader with an intriguing and insightful snippet, not bore them with an unnecessary chapter. 
If you expect your epigraph may be longer, you may want to consider it a prologue rather than an epigraph. Looking to the other end of the spectrum, your epigraph can be as little as just one word long. Take this quotation from Gravity's Rainbow by Thomas Pynchon, for example. What? Richard M. Nixon. Question number four. Can my epigraph have multiple purposes? Absolutely. Many of the epigraphs I listed in our breakdown above could probably slide into another category on the list. I even purposefully created my own epigraphs to fulfill multiple purposes, too. So, if your own epigraph can be multifaceted, don't hold back. The more purpose it serves, the more powerful it will be. And that's our chat on epigraphs. Thank you so much for listening in today, writers. I hope you enjoyed it. I know it was a bit of a different topic and maybe not one that you've really considered all that much. You've probably read a few epigraphs in your time, but how often do we really think about writing them? I've personally found them to be a lot of fun and including in my own stories. I love setting the scene and foreshadowing some things that are going to happen later in the book, but again, they're totally not necessary, so don't feel pressured to include epigraphs in your own book. Well, if you did enjoy today's episode of the podcast, do allow me to give my spiel. Make sure to leave a rating and a review or a like or any of the things that you can do on any of the platforms from where you might be listening in. That includes YouTube, uh, not Spotify, I was going to say Spotify, I meant to say SoundCloud. So you might be listening in from YouTube, SoundCloud, or iTunes, or the Well-Storied website. So wherever you are, make sure to give this podcast a quick rating, like, review, etc. Anything to really just help it grow and get more exposure so that I can continue making these episodes. And yeah. Also, if you have any, you know, extra cash laying around that you just so happen to want to put toward a creator that you may be enjoying at the moment, oh my goodness, asking for money is the most awkward thing, isn't it? But we're here now, so let's keep going. If you enjoy the Wellstoried podcast, and as I always say, anything that I create for Wellstoried, and you would like to put your money behind a creator that you believe in, and that creator just so happens to be me, I would love for you to come on over to Patreon. I have a Patreon account where you can support Wellstoried for a small monthly payment each month. Really, you can start as low as $1, just $1 a month, and every single penny counts. It helps me cover the expenses involved in running both this podcast and Well Storied as a whole, which are not always the cheapest thing in the world. So if you have a dollar or two or five or ten to spare, come on over to patreon.com slash wellstoried. I will leave that link for you in today's episode description as well. And consider becoming a Well Storied patron. All right, guys, I think that's all I have for you today. Thank you so, so much for listening in. It always means the world to hear your sweet comments about how much you've been enjoying the episodes I've been sharing recently. Um, yeah, I guess that's all I have. Like I said, thank you so much for listening in, and I will see you guys next time. Bye!